Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Evan. And we are the Purple Witch of Culver, and you are listening to Sticky Sticky Jazz. The opinions expressed on this show are solely those of Jeremy Hinks and Sticky Jazz Podcast and do not necessarily reflect those of anyone else on this planet. All right, everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. Uh, Jeremy Hinks, the man of a million musical opinions, all of which happen to be correct. And uh, switch to a new platform. We are fully transferred over, so we shouldn't experience any more hiccups now. Uh, I dedicate this episode to my mentor in the Unix world, who I found out had just passed away two years ago. Um, I just found out this weekend. His name was Fred Ziegler, and uh, he was the all-things Unix guy, and he taught me so much about uh, technology, and he was a great BMW driver, and he loved his beer, and I taught him how to speak a lot of bad German. Uh, rest in peace, Fred. This one goes out to you. Uh, this week is Mark Bingham. He's the eclectic man of rock and roll who's been in it since the 60s, and he's had his thumbprint on more records than you could imagine. Uh, so just listen and look at the list. His resume is miles long, and the guy has some amazing stories to tell. He just put out a new record called uh, Mushroom Crowd, but uh, there's another one coming out tomorrow, but I'm going to kick this off with the oh-so-enjoyable piece off Mushroom Crowd, Sue the Chimp, Enjoy the Bazaar.
everybody. Welcome to Sticky Jazz. I'm Jeremy Hanks. And this week, I've got the legendary slash legend slash historical icon slash, uh, I, I don't know how else to call this one, Mark Bingham, who has had his thumb in so many different pies for, uh, we're looking at how many years now? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been I mean, a while. You, you've got Johnson. Since Johnson when? was president. Johnson Since was Johnson. President. <laughs> <laughs> you have got one hell of a resume. I couldn't believe that, like, when when your publicist, who I, I give him all the credit in the world. He's if 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 he if I said I need a Zydeco punk rock tuba player who's tone deaf. Your publicist, I got just the guy, right? I mean, he is, he has the weirdest <laughs> list of, of people. His roster is so wide. He's just got so many amazing people that he's worked with. And he, I said, I need something weird and wonderful just to really shake up the monotony of what's been going on. And he said, hey, what do you think of this guy? And I just was reading your resume. I was like, whoa, I can't believe. Yeah, I, you know, and and so I, I, said sure and i dove into the catalog and a lot i'd actually heard bits and pieces over the years but the deep dive is going to be a very crazy experience to do that with just because like you said you've been making music since johnson was president and you've done some amazing work over the years and so this is quite an honor to talk to somebody i mean you've you've got that much behind you I mean, I was looking at people that you've worked with and I, I saw, well, like Elvis Costello, that guy's recorded more than anybody I know of. Whoops. I just found somebody who outdid that. So. Yeah. You know, Elvis Costello, it's funny. The press releases and whatnot put a lot of these famous people in there. Now, you know, I spent hardly any time with Elvis Costello, but say James Blood Ulmer, there's all these amazing people that I worked with that don't make like the list. They don't make the list. <laughs> that's, that's interesting because the most of the work I've done, you know, like the flat duo jet stuff like that, people don't mention that. That's like 30 years old now, it doesn't matter. So it's interesting. Uh, I just see that I worked with a lot of different people for a long time. And, uh, you know, I love Elvis Costello. But I'll tell you, the first time I actually did anything with him, um, the producer needed weed. <laughs> and, and, uh, I, and I worked with the drummer. I, both of the drummers I knew. This is maybe 1989. They're doing Spike. Yeah, they yeah, came Spike, to New Orleans uh, to do a session. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have any. I did more on that record, and I have no credit. But all I did was send a weed dealer to the studio, find them the right. You know, uh, they got. You know, it was like it's hooking people up. And the next record was uh, after Katrina. I didn't really do a whole have a lot on that, so. You know, it's interesting. So you say Elvis Costello, but, you know, there's hundreds of people I worked with for longer than Elvis Costello, you know. Elvis well, he, he was one of those anyway. names that, that he gets <laughs> attached to a cell all, yeah. I suppose. But, uh, 
Yeah, well, he's great. I mean, the guy, I'm really proud of him in a sense. This is like, I hope it doesn't come off bad. But when I, you know, first met him, he knew, he didn't know how to write music and he wrote great music, but he didn't. And then since 1990 or so, uh, and since he moved out of his sphere of the attractions and Pete and Steve and all those cats, he really learned. I mean, Elvis can write a orchestra score now. You know? Oh yeah, he so he he's, does. Uh, he's become a real thing. Yeah, the, no job's too big for that guy, you know. But uh, yeah, actually, that's about that time. Shortly after Spike in the early '90s was when he started going, like really going wide, you know. So yeah. Um, but when I said the screaming gypsy bandits, right? Now I found that in there. I thought, well, let me just start there. And that stuff was so much fun. That really was which, a lot of fun. Which did you hear? Uh, uh, the uh, uh, Let It Fly. The the Let no, fly, it, let Back it, to Doghead. Yes. Yeah, so that in the eye. Fly me away. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. Okay, yeah, that's stuff. Okay, so let, let me just explain something. There's a techno electronica band out there called Fluke. All right. And they did this crazy song, Adam Bomb, and all that. You know, I mean, Fluke are like one of those great techno acts that were, where they, they did what they did. They were amazing. But they spun off and they, they had a project called Syntax. And they did a song called Pride. That was, it was, they, they used it on that TV show Bones. But the thing about listening to, the Screaming Gypsy Bandits was I suddenly realized, oh my God, this is the song that that Pride song came from almost with the chorus and all the vocals and the guitar work underneath and everything. I was like, this is so good. Suddenly being able to connect it to the syntax that, you know, that, that that's, it, it made that whole thing sound suddenly current. I don't know how else to describe it, but I was like, Sure, that song was like what fifty years old, right? But suddenly 50 now, fifty years old, yes, yeah. But then it suddenly chimed into something that I've been listening to lately. You know, that's relatively new, and all mm -hmm. of a sudden it just came, it crossed over seamlessly. And then I was able to go and I listened to the rest of the albums, and I was like, so some of this sounds really current. A lot of it sounds like they're really fun, Bob Billion. Let's hop on the on the bus and drive around playing the like you know like the dead were at that time but with a lot more focus but i was like this is really good stuff and okay so you broke up in what 75 right well that was when that band broke up right it, that was some really good work and it sounds like you just kind of kept going like okay that project's done that was fun i'm just gonna keep moving on with you know, because everything else I've heard, it just, it's, it changes, but it didn't feel like you hit any brick walls or stopped or were like, gee, looking, it didn't ever feel like, I mean, everything I was going through, you were producing for the people, but it wasn't like, gee, I got to find something else to do now, right? It, it, the way it sounds is there was always something to do and you just kept busy. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I moved to New York, you know. 75 76 was kind of all over the place but 70 by 76 i was in new york and i stayed in new york off and on through 
1988 and in New Orleans in 82 and back and forth between New Orleans and New York for five, six years. And there was always a lot to do, yeah. And and not having a band, just being uh, out there in the world and dealing with whatever came along, that that was cool. But I had a band in New York, this social climbers band, and we yes. rehearsed a lot and played gigs. And and I think you know that that social climbers record is pretty wacky, and uh, you know, uh, so it just uh, yeah, just things kept going. So the new album, uh, Mushroom Crowd, right? Uh, uh, right. Well, you're talking about Wacky. I'm like, yeah, that album itself was, I I put that on and, uh, well, even the title song was a trip. I, I've never done Mushrooms. I wonder if that was kind of how it would feel like to be on Shrooms for that title song, but uh that album itself i i did a again i did a dive through that i enjoyed going through well you opened with sue the chimp right right and i thought okay now just just that we've just finished up with the trump era i just thought the title i are we throwing something at at the trump era at that with the title (laughs) like that um because they called him the chimp, the chump, the orangutan in chief. You know, I mean, how many nicknames did they assign to the guy? But uh, I I loved the title. And then just listening to it, I just had this like smirk on my face through the whole song. Um, well, just because the line, let's see, the chimp has a very big line, shoots through the ozone, humor croutons, more prostitutes and lawyers by the pool. I mean, just what was going on with that and what was the point of that song because it was fun it was fun but i was like is he like making a parody of all the shit we just went through or what was sue the chimp about? i don't know i mean sue the chimp there was a a, a guy in new orleans who was a horn, old horn player and when people and the young people would complain about stuff at a session the old guy never complained, but when they it, people started complaining, he'd he'd just blow them off and say, "Yeah, yeah, shut up, just go sue the chimp." Really? <laughs> so, yes, I was like, and then and I thought maybe it sounds like a person named Sue, but then again, maybe. But you know, once I that chorus came out and it was so beautiful, and then it was just like oh, I put the rest of the song around it, and you know, sometimes you just jam and you got a drum track and i think that came out of a jerry douglas session you know who jerry douglas is right no no i don't i mean i probably do from whatever but who's jerry Douglas? well jerry douglas is like the the classic nashville dobro player oh he made an album called traveler that that i worked on and had eric clapton on it you know and uh and we all got vaccinated no just kidding uh, and um, so the producer was a famous old producer guy, and he wanted a song a certain way, and nobody could do it. But I kind of liked the groove. So a couple months later, I started playing around with this thing. It's like, which would be, how slow can you play that New Orleans groove? So that that was about as slow as it would get. So Sue the Chimp just started out with that. And then it's like got sousaphone instead of a bass. It's uh it's got prepared banjos. It's just got some odd atmosphere, but really, it's all to go to the payoff 
for the chorus because it's so beautiful. Yeah, well, the whole song was a lot of fun. And yes, the payoff, yes. Because if, if I was smirking through that just with a silly grin, then you, you know, mission accomplished. That was a win right. for a song there. But uh, like the, some of the lyrics were just so witty, you know, uh, more prostitutes and lawyers by the pool. They want to give you pills to stay, you know, to stop the pain. I'm just like chuckling going, what what insanity is he approaching here? Because I feel like you were just like drawing it out. Like I was like, hey, guys, I'm just showing you the news right now. I'm not, you know, kind of thing. It, it was so, so familiar with what was what I felt was going on at the moment that and I, just the commentary, I guess, was what I was getting. I, I never, I never wrong. thought about it. Never well, thought about Donald Trump. Although I think I saw Donald Trump at the Cat Club maybe in 1988, but I can't be sure. Okay. <laughs> so it just, it felt like a good commentary there that had a good laugh, you know, I always, I really like, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, that's good. But but there are some of your records that they get a vibe that you just kind of get into, and then I, I realize I'm not getting out of this vibe. I'm just gonna keep going with it, and it's you know it, I, I'm not expecting anything to change here. This is this is where I'm feeling it, and this is where the the train's gonna go. Um, your song "Earth and Sky," God, that was right. so funny. Okay, the lines. When I saw the biscuit makes on the countertop, I wonder why she told me those biscuits were made from scratch. They stood off a chain reaction now. I doubt her word so soon after we made our vows. Where do you come up? What? What? Okay, that was just classic. That was brilliant. Of, I mean, just telling a story, Hemingway couldn't have dropped the line better than that. Like, I love, like, like the whole, like, Oh hell, where are we now in this? Do I really trust what's going on? You know, but the, right. the line when I when I doubt her word now, I doubt her word so soon after we made our vows. I thought that was just such a brilliant line over counter over biscuits. I mean, what was the song, man? Yeah. Priceless piece that was. <laughs> that was a really good number. Oh, good, good. Earth and sky. What was going uh, on with what that? What song one? is that? Oh, you know, there's that beautiful old song. Have you have you seen Miss Jones? Mm -hmm. And that some line in it about the earth and the sky, it's an old jazz tune. I don't know. Earth and sky doesn't. You know, that's uh, that covers a lot, right? You can right. put anything if you call something earth and sky. Earth and sky, <laughs> but but then you're complaining about her being dishonest about the biscuits. I'm like, gosh, that is like. Just, just the, well, the some... wittiness, like the whole record. You've got this, this really fun, like backhanded wit going through everything, just in in the themes of the album. You know what the lyrics were about. But uh, uh, what what was what was the? I mean, was there a story behind that where you called her out on the biscuits or? No, I just you know you write. You, writing is not often. It's not autobiographical. You just make up stuff. That's what makes you a writer, I think. Uh-huh. Okay, because that is... I mean, I just, a, I mean, I, you could have you could have made a sitcom episode off of that, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. So, um, what was the... Uh, let's see, you, you got rolling on this whole record here. Um, 
I'm going to jump back to some of the other ones here that I also had a good time with. I loved that that gooseneck record. Okay. Right. Uh, that was a very different vibe altogether than 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 mushrooms. It was uh, that was a that was a crazy one to dive in as well. I remembered so listening to that one. I, I put on, you know, I opened with Prisoners of the Sky, and that reminded me, believe it or not, I don't know why, just the just the immediate feel to that song was the closing scene of Fight Club, where they started playing that song, Where Is My Mind, by the Pixies. It just like, right. boom, just that, that feeling of, where's my mind? What's going on here? You know, and that was what Prisoners of the Sky got me, right? I, I, that was just a great I mean, the perfect feel to that. But uh, let's see. I don't tell secrets to strangers. And I guess like what you just said, you just write to write. You're not trying to make a point sometimes. But your lyrics get pretty profound when when you said something like, I don't tell secrets to strangers. If I ever find who understands if I live life, if, if I live, I live as a dream, as I dream. Um, just, I mean... Very different record then than it was now, but could you talk about that Prisoners of the Sky for a second, or, or what was um, that that song? I wrote the music to that song when I was eighteen. Okay, and it it became it, the first incarnation of it. The Screaming Gypsy Bandits played, and it was called Runny Nose. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And then, uh, and then about in the '90s, that I recycled the music into a musical called "Ruby's Bucket of Blood," which ended up being a movie. And uh, they took the song out of the movie, but that's the way it goes. Otherwise, and then uh, I got to see this movie. I just the title I, that, "Ruby's Bucket of Blood." That just sounds awesome. It's on, it's on Showtime. The play was great. We did the play at the San Diego Rip, and uh, it's set in Louisiana. Showtime bought it as a movie and then totally destroyed it, so I wouldn't bother watching it. <laughs> Although okay. Angela Bassett is in it, you know. Okay. Other so, than that, you know. All right. Kind of a mess. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, so then... Prisoners of the Sky, I just kept singing that song. And uh, over the years, and I would change the words when, it, however I felt at the time. And so Prisoners of the Sky was like that, um, you know, I don't even know what it means. <laughs> okay. Because it's fun lyrics, again. But like you said, they were so fluid and they kept changing as, as the years went on. That's, you know, then that, that, that shows you the quality of the, of the spirit of the song it took on its own life i guess right um well so yeah I, and say like yeah, yeah go next ahead. uh in five months or something i'm gonna play some of this old screaming gypsy bandits music and the reality is i have to learn it all over again i don't remember the nuances i have to go some cases listen to the records and re remind myself i have sheet music but sometimes the sheet music is wrong, you know? And uh, so I find, you know, when song becomes, a, 
when you have to put a song in a different key and sing it differently, it really becomes a different piece of music. So, and plus, um, the people that might know those songs from that era that would expect to sing along, probably about a dozen of those left alive. So I'm not going to worry about that part, you know. And uh, so it's fun to go back and, you know, constantly reconstruct and decompose or whatever you want to call it. So you're, you're a decomposing composer then. That's it. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm just getting the vibe that uh, when you're in the studio, you're not very strict with, you're like, okay, I'm going to push record and let's just make it happen. Uh, let's have more fun. You, you sound like you, you're into, more into the having fun than you are of uh, making it sound exactly the way that you started out to, right? You, you allow a lot of change to, to, to. Well, every, I mean, that seems to be how things work anyway, because you know, suppose you're a producer, what you want at the end of the day is something that is done. And it really doesn't matter who does it. You don't have to provide every cue. And serendipity is always your friend. Things always happen and pieces always change a little bit. And that's just the way the process is. So sometimes, I mean, I've made records mostly with other people where you it's there it's a document of a performance and most of the stuff i'm doing it's hard it, if you played it it would be very different okay because i've got all kind of stuff going on and um so there's a yeah there's rat you know there's so many radically di different ways to record and I'm not really stuck on any one thing because uh, it's just, it's a lot of work, you know, to get, it's a lot of work to make something feel like it just happened. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I've had them, I've had so many people say, yeah, you think that three minutes and 24 seconds song was, yeah, it's fun and quick and easy and enjoyable to listen to. It took us months to make it, you know? And yeah. I, I, no. oh, yeah. So, but yeah, like you said, serendipity is your, your best friend as well. When that moment just happens and you're like, man, couldn't have planned on that. I'm glad we pushed record before that happened, you know? And well, that and, happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many bands said, man, that, that one take we thought was just crap. And then we went back a month later and we're like, that was genius. You know, it's, it's, it's the moment, <laughs> I guess. Um, so I guess you are all things uh, New Orleans, or you were for a while there as far as uh, the music scene goes. You had Piety Street going, right? For how many years was, yeah. was the studio open? And I mean, I looked that up. Uh, I was like, oh. I, I looked that up and thought, man, that was a legend unto itself. That was, you know, I mean, that sounded like so much awesome happened there. Yeah, it was great. It, it just... Uh... You know, by the time we stopped, minus a trust fund, there was no way to keep something like that going in the climate when bands could no longer sell CDs. That was the end of big studios, unless it was a big studio that was already, you know, solvent and functional, which I never was, you know. So, um, 
but it was great. It was a good space and uh, made a lot of good work there. Yeah, I, I looked at the list of what was there. I thought, man, that just was uh, just beautiful. I mean, I to, to have been a fly on the wall for some of that, you know, would have been great. I would have I would have enjoyed a lot of those moments, I, I think. Um, my. Uh, oh, my favorite fly in the wall moment was working. It was about 10, 10 years ago, maybe. And we're working on this son of rogues gallery record it was all sea shanties yep. yep and in the room at the same time we had mac rabinac dr john and tom waits who hadn't seen each other for years and big frida and katie red two you know the cross-dressing hip-hop or bounce mm -hmm. people Katie Red's become a huge star since then. So that was the kind of things you'd happen in there. You'd, or I remember one day, you know, uh, it was like Nicholas Payton and Will Oldham were in there having a deep conversation. You know, it was like, you never knew what it was going to be. Will Oldham never worked there. He just sort of showed up to say hi, you know. And uh, so you get Tom <laughs> Waits in there with anybody. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting yeah. experience. But uh well, I mean, because of I, the connections, the global connections of doing music for all this time, one day I answered the, the door and this, this cute lady was there, it's like about my age, and she was like, hi, I'm Lulu. And it was like Lulu from To Sir With Love. And she was like something, I can't remember, was it Brian Ferry or John Porter or somebody had told her to check out the studio while she was in town. So that kind of, you're like, holy shit, it's Lulu. <laughs> uh huh. So that well, kind of, I like that kind of stuff. Well, so, but so did, did you guys record at the Rogues Gallery there with Sting? Um, no. Gavin Friday. Uh, we, uh, uh, I, I, there, there were a lot on that record, I know, but I guess they didn't record those at your studio. I did. Or... I, I, I mixed. I did. I did uh, a Macy Gray song. I did the the wait song we ended up not using and he did another version with keith richard which you know for whatever reason what a story that uh, is Tom and Wayne's and keith uh, and, the, and then mac the mac rebinac track is really beautiful the dr john the the lure of the tropics is really really a great piece and then ivan neville we did uh storm along john that was really good and then the big frida Katie Red, Bill Frizzell, and the Akron family, the Haul em Away, which there's very few radio stations or podcasts will even play that. It's so filthy. And so. Uh, well, I don't anyway. know. There's the, on that one, the, there's Gavin Friday did that song, The Baltimore Horrors, which was probably the nastiest song I've ever heard in my life. I mean, that was. Uh, I it, love Gavin Friday. I, I I sang, I sang, ba pa 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 on some record of his in 1988. That Hal, uh, the first record he did with Hal. That was, was uh, each, each man, man kills, kills the thing he loves. Kills, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if they gave us any credit for going. Bop, oh my bop, god, that's bop, such bop, an amazing record. There, I love. No, you know what my there was with, a bunch the, of us with, with the man sees it. Yeah, no, my favorite song by Gavin Friday yeah. of all times was on that record was um, the Telltale Heart. 
which was yeah no he's great oh gosh he's yeah the best. no i so my gavin friday story was i was um i was uh i was backstage at a youtube show and i saw him and i just looked over and i i looked and i just yelled gavin fucking friday right and he looks at me and you because you know him so you know exactly how he he looks at me yeah. completely straight yeah. face cool calm and collected and goes the same <laughs> just like that and i was like yeah. Whoa, shit. You know, so I went over and talked to him, and he was great. He was really, really, a, a, I mean, he was awesome. Right. But on top of just being, you know, we're backstage, everybody's wanting to, to see you too. You two weren't there, but we're all just kind of hanging out. And I saw him, and I was like, I am going to go and talk to Gavin Friday. Oh my God, this is so cool. And he was like, Yes, I'm Gavin Friday. How are you? <laughs> it was just awesome. Just so non pretentious. Yeah. Just, Hey, I'm just Gavin Friday, you know. He was oh, he's great. I love the guy. So um but yeah, so you were on that record. Wow, because that wasn't yeah, I don't well, see that listed here hell, that you were on, but no, no, it's it's not even on there, but I mean I was on there, but me and Michael Blair, a bunch of people saying these things for Hal, because I was commandeering a studio doing an HBO series that was supposedly produced by Hal, but Hal was in working with Gavin and working with Mary Ann somewhere else. And, but he'd come back in and we'd work in this little studio I was in whenever and Gavin did a few things in there. That's, that's all. Otherwise I had nothing to do with it. Mm. Cause that's, he's, that's Gavin Friday is quite an amazing performer as well. Love the guy's work. So, but I'm looking at this and I'm like, oh man, you've done, I mean, I don't know how crazy, but it says you lived on the same block as Nico and all that in the, in the early days and, you know, Joni Mitchell and Eric Burton. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I, you know, Nico, I saw some now and then across the street taking care of her kid. Joni Mitchell hardly ever saw uh, David Crosby was around and he was going down there, but Eric Burden, the kids in the neighborhood, like, destroyed his motorcycle. They put sugar in the tank, and oh, he was, like, unpopular for some reason. But, uh, you know, you got to remember, I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And I was, a, I was, and so I did not get, uh, you know, they were really nice. All of them were really nice to me, and I, they did not ever allow me to stick a needle in my arm, which was really good, which I didn't want to do anyway but that's what everyone else was doing so it, it was an interesting time to be in los angeles but you know i didn't want to stay there uh-huh so uh wait do you know gary lucas by the way uh captain B i Parks? do yes yeah okay yeah um gosh that guy's an amazing because i did a do tell i did a do tells record oh okay so he just recorded with uh a, a he did some guitar work with a with a guy, Mortal Prophets, up in New York, and that was when huh. like uh, that I I I was that is some amazing work. I mean, everybody there in the Captain Beefheart family were just amazing musicians, and I I'm looking at who you've worked with there, and I I just thought, geez, I know that that uh, Don himself was a difficult person to get on with, as as, as everybody said, but. But everybody else in the family said, that, I, uh, I don't know. 
everybody else in the family they loved working with each other and that was a big family thing about beefheart they all said that it was just a great experience to be in that band so i saw the band but i saw the magic band we played in the same bill with them oh geez. November, yeah that was in november of 1970 and you know i have a tape of that i should i should uh i got your email i'll send you some mp3s of i would love live, that live woe is a me bop you know in 1970 and it's so, not the greatest fidelity but it sounds great you you really hear what that band sounded like and uh yeah no you know that was it was i i was on that gig it was Elliot Ingber's last gig, and Elliot Ingber was a great guitar player who was in the band on Lick My Decals Off, and then he quit because he only wanted to eat berries. That's what he said. So I don't know whether that was true or not, but you know, uh, he, he got real mad if they brought cheese into the dressing room. Because he wanted berries. So you've got I don't so, know. I, I, you got so many stories in there with these great people. Um, the, again, the Gypsy Bandits were were. I I just it, that's something that I kind of wish, like when I was growing up in high school and everyone was getting back into the Dead, you know, uh, in the late eighties, early nineties, and everyone and I, a lot of it. I mean, I liked it, and it, but I found myself looking for something that would have been the gypsy bandits that was what i was looking for trying to steer off like look yeah that's the dead are fine but this is if i had had that at the time if i'd known it at the time i probably would have just gone head first into it because it was such good work and it just it i i don't know how else to describe it it's it has a timeless feel to it you know you could turn it on right now and it still sounds like i mean the recording quality of it and the engineering was great, but the the and the production, but the 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 soul of it, the feel to that music was just outstanding. And it's I yeah. Well, well, to say something about that after an album is fifty years old, right? That really does put a gold star next to it because the album is that good, or at least that one. Well, that some I, people did, you know, some people didn't like it. I remember the industry in those days if you were not on a big label all of the uh, review stuff and whatnot the reviewers it was mostly uh they would like the reason you weren't on a big label was because you weren't good enough and this stuff wasn't any good so that was typically the vibe toward independent music until maybe 75 and then it started shifting you know but uh yeah because in those days i don't know nobody really liked it much but oh, you know who's geez. the bass player on that record the bass player is john clayton who's been a great bass player in la for decades and wrote he wrote the uh the greatest arrangement of the star spangled banner ever for whitney houston and the nfl stiffed him really there you go like they they didn't pay him because that that I remember that right. CD single that when she played uh, at the the Super Bowl right that CD single was everywhere. She sang I, oh it was annoying I I it was just she went sang the Star Spangled Banner. Uh, yeah no yeah. I remember that yeah I mean that that, that yeah. was the that was one of the jokes in the movie Hudson Hawk was you know he had to pick oh. it he, he said Whitney Houston singing Star Spangled Banner in the Super Bowl and he named off exactly how long it was I'm like yeah but that was. 
you know, like I, I personally couldn't appreciate her vocals and listening to that was hard because she just went on <laughs> on. Right. Like I right. just, I, I never liked Whitney Houston and, and people were like, why? I'm like, you know, she had a very good lush voice, but she didn't have, she didn't have the passion. She didn't have the feel for it that I felt like she should have. When she hit the scene, there were so many others at voices, you know, Shaka Khan was one that I, you know, there were so right. many women that had, that had more spirit and feel to their voices. And I just didn't like, I just didn't like Whitney using people and people were playing that star spangled banner everywhere. And now you're telling me that your, your buddy, John Clayton wrote the arrangement and the NFL didn't pay him yeah. for it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but they had all the money in the world, man, that sucks. Um, yeah, that's like uh, if Roger Goodell gets thirty million a year to run the league, at least he could have thrown John a few thousand dollars. I mean, yeah, throw him a couple of bucks. Yeah, geez. Yeah, because um, we all know Whitney Houston made bank on that. Um, so, but uh, so your song, "The Long Hangover." Um, there's i felt like there was a lot of mischief in there but also the 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 lyrics in that it was a fun song okay but let's see there was a line behind high fences kids on pine needle pathways sell gin their ale with cherries sharing their tears with christ beautiful i mean those are like tom waits like crazy lyrics gone really intense you know and I was like, that is beautiful. The imagery there. Loved that song. And then there was the line. Well, then there was the part I was trying to, what that woman was whispering in the background in that song. Um, oh, oh, right, right. No, you're, you're uh, smirking. Because I couldn't, I tried to, it was a beautiful yeah. song, but I'm trying to figure out what was she saying? Oh, she was playing like the uh, the aunt that was carrying caring messing with the band over um the song list so so that's why you didn't hear it just like and then you know yeah so, yeah yeah but that was that a, kind of thing so well that was a so cool you, have, song. you dig for there's nothing there but that's that's one of those it's a it's a it's a whole musical squeezed into seven minutes or whatever oh yes it was um so some of the lines should have Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, talk about that. Just, just talk about this. It was a, just a real winner of a, of a song there. We'll talk about that one. Well, we, I mean, the long hangover of history, think about that as a concept that when I was in high school, we thought all the racial uh, crap in the world would was going to phase out and everything was going to be wonderful. Who knew we were going to end up almost in worse shape 50 years later or whatever. Oh, so oh, the long, yeah. so, so we can't, things don't change very fast, I guess is the deal. And so here you have an idea, you're playing music for all this time and you end up like, I think of Bernard Purdy who in 2000, 2022 is still playing weddings and playing this and he played on some of the greatest records ever and one of the greatest drummers ever, but he just gets up and goes to work. So if it's a, you know, if it's a bar mitzvah, he's on the gig. If it's a Steely Dan, he was on the gig, you know? So I think of it, this is like a workaday musicians thing. You're 
playing at the you got to play at the wedding and nobody you know and they 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 try to hide the shrimp from the band and you know literally that's how it happens they the band is not supposed to go near the food because they think the band is going to eat it all and steal it so the band gets treated like second-class citizens a lot and this is just you know a little tale of that okay okay some of the oh wow okay so you're squeezing a an entire musical i mean when you're saying that like and you're squeezing like I, I thought about joe's garage and if they had ever tried to make a musical out of joe's garage just the absurdity of that would get you know but that, that's what i think of what, what when i hear bands like this making musicals so that was just kind of the image that you gave me and i got that well that's okay and now you're telling me here we are the band playing the weddings and that like this is really a cool yeah. story that's really funny that is a very funny story man you know but, it's like you yeah know, the, not, uh... nothing glamorous about being in a band you know we, we you got to get paid and that's it i mean you know the funny part you think piety street was glamorous but i was the guy mopping the bathroom and taking the man ring off around the toilets at two in the morning, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, that's all part of the gig, you know? Oh, I'm, yeah, sure. Totally. Um, it's no, look, I'm a music journalist, man. I've been backstage. I've been in places where it's like, it, it ain't glamorous, you know? It's, uh, I mean, I, I've seen, I've also seen rock stars doing some really appalling things. I've seen people just be like, wow, I, I, I really thought better of you for some reason at times. So, oh yeah, this, this happens for sure. I mean, I, I, uh, I remember, I mean, the, the guy has since passed, but I remember, um, uh, Stone Temple Pilots and there was Scott Weiland there and just there in his lazy boy and he was whiplashing you know and that was like he shot up right in front of his fans and was just there it was it was a hard that was a that was a hard thing to see just you know and he was young and he ended up he just died a few years ago but that was one of those things right. and, and all the guys in the band were like sorry man nobody talks to scott you know and there i was a, a kid mormon here in utah and I, i'm seeing scott weiland right. going you know that was a hard thing to see but I, and i'm sure well, you've seen I, that a thousand I times saw, over yeah no i saw i saw tim harden when i was in the spring of 68 at, at town hall i think there's a record tim harden live at town hall but he came out and he had i think khaki pants and loafers and a yellow shirt and he had the shirt rolled up but i was in the second row looking up at him and you could see tracks and see the blood on his shirt so he had shot up and not even and just went bad on stage with and then just you know, didn't even try and wash it off or anything, right? Yeah. No, just blood on his arm. That was disturbing. But in LA, I saw a lot of people do really bizarre things and shoot up in their ankles and shoot up this and shit. I was just like, whoa. Yeah, well, Amazing. like you said, you, you were glad that they didn't let you put a needle in your arm, right? Um Yeah, no, that was that was you're, good. You're still yeah, alive I, and, and kicking and doing well. I mean um uh oh yeah by the way so you, since you are all things new orleans or the, the louis i know you've been everywhere else i mean I, you know but uh have you crossed paths with homer flynn i'm sure and the residents oh well yeah i i worked with them 
Just, uh, MX80, I, MX80 was on their label. Okay, because, yeah, they so are. 1979, there's a record uh, called Submod, which has four versions of I Left My Heart in San Francisco. And that's when I first met them. And then I was out there for a month working on a record for Ralph Records. And yeah, so I've about I have not seen any of them since then for 40 years. And I know Hardy died and I don't know, but MX80 yeah, he, uh, is still going. Well, I I interviewed Homer Flynn last summer. And man, that wow. guy's a trip. He's a he's funny. He's very witty, but he's he's really he's an intelligent guy. But I I thought you guys probably yeah. So you just through the history, I you you could write the most amazing book. I'm just going through all these people that you've recorded with and done work with. And just think, my man, alive. There's no there's no end to this, right? You could probably write volumes upon volumes about just the music that you were there for to take part in um well the residents the residents had a studio that had a 16 track um tiac they had one u87 and they had about a hundred toy instruments that was their studio and uh, uh they they could not they couldn't believe that we all could sit in a room and play music together and somebody could record it that came out of speakers all and sounded sort of like what we were doing. That was amazing to them because, you know, Homer Homer pretty much made most of the music and Hardy and, and did like the visuals. Hardy did the music, Jay Clem did the business and John Kennedy did a variety of things. And, but the music of the residents was really two guys. Really? I don't know if Homer, you see, you know, who knows? Won't, Homer would never you say know, the, that. Homer wouldn't actually ever admit to being yeah. in the band, you know? So he's Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. So, but I mean, I've got pictures of me and them in the MX-80 in the studio. So, I mean, I know who they are and it's their names are right next to this and it's on some, you know, thing. So oh, that it's on is, the internet. I mean, that it's gotta is be true. Funny. That it's is... gotta be true. It's on the internet. Oh, that is yeah. funny. Cause no. <laughs> He was one of the more interesting people to talk to. He's he's a funny guy. He's great. Um, and I just think because I mean he's from New Orleans. Yes, they're I need well they're from Louisiana, but you know he's he's in San Francisco. They're from now, Shreveport. But, That's, yeah, they're from Shreveport. Yeah. Shreveport is a whole different world. That's like Texas. That's over by Texas. So yeah, I it is Texas. I mean, it might as well be Texas. <laughs> so. No, my my command is in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and we went over the bridge into New Orleans, or not New Orleans, but over, uh, over the river into Louisiana. And man, I saw some strange there, like you know where everything is on still. Faraday was that what that place Faraday, was man, you Faraday is right across, actually by Natchez, is Faraday, and that's where Jerry Lee Lewis, Mickey Gilly, and Jimmy Swagger are from. And well, it's one of the poorest towns in Louisiana, which is saying a lot. It was poor. Yeah, it was right over the bridge from Vicksburg. And uh, everyone was like, stay on the main road. When you get off, just just, just stay on the road, park the car. But, And I said, why? They said, well, because everything that goes below the road, you got you got gators everywhere. So just, you know, it's like for real. And everything was on yeah. stilts. And, 
and I was like, it was just, it was just bizarre, you know, a beautiful country, but such a strange, you know, just to, to be out there. And, but everyone's like, yeah, you got to, I, I've never been to New Orleans. I have a coworker who lives there and he, he talks and he just loves it. That's his whole thing. He loves everything about New Orleans. So, but uh, I can, I'll get there one day and probably just eat the best food and, you know, split in two because I ate so much. But, um, <laughs> uh, well, actually, wait a minute. What's the story about the Cobb salad that you're talking about here? This, uh, the, the I'm, I'm reading the notes on Gooseneck and it said, this record reminds me of a night out in 97 when I passed out face down in a Cobb salad at Commander's Palace. And the, the vodka went, tell me that story, man. I obviously, you. Uh, something um, got the best of you the uh there was this new vodka was coming out called kettle one and, and a friend of mine was the brother-in-law or something of of the kettle one distributor i was working with this guy named andre kodrescu who was a um, npr core uh, commentator and these people were his or a fan of his and I was working with a guy named Joe Boyd who had produced a ton of records over his lifetime and the Kettle One people wanted to take us out for dinner at Commander's but basically they so they just you know we Joe and I've been working all day with Joe we're totally burned out and uh, you know I mean one March Martini on an empty stomach, and I was boom. Especially when you're it eating Cobb even... salad with nothing to soak it up. So just, yeah, uh, it was like so. I woke up, but yeah, it was it was not good. But that's the way it was, you know. But the whole record keeps that feel. That's what I got out of it. That was the one with long hangover and all that. Um, right. Well, so uh, some of what you're talking about there, it just reminds me like. Um, uh, when I lived up in Canada, I went to University of Montreal, and they had the uh, the the bathtub vodka taste off competition, and I just uh, oh. <laughs> uh, have you been? Have you oh, been? No, that? but just the thought, the thought of it makes me ill. You know, uh, I the worst thing I ever did was uh, okay with that kind of thing. It was what year was it? It was seven in the seventies and. With, it was a, the small group screaming gypsy band it's with me and caroline payton and somebody else maybe a piano player got a gig at this thing in evansville indiana and i was kind of broke and during the day it was the fourth of july maybe 75 and they had a banana eating contest downtown <laughs> and the, it was a 200 dollar <laughs> first prize and i was like man I could tell those are the go days pretty far. Yeah, when your uh, your rent was $75 in those days, you know. So I was like, yeah, so I got into it, did it, did it, did it. And as I got up to about 20 bananas, this little kid who was like 12 just went past me and made it up to 26. So I knew I couldn't get that far. And then at 21, I was so sick. Oh my God. And then I missed the gig. 
So I didn't even, I missed the 200 bucks and I missed my hundred dollar gig. <laughs> so 300 bucks in one day, shot the shit. Okay. Boom. <laughs> and just feel, terrible feeling, you know. Oh, well, I mean, I bet, but hey, you had enough potassium for to hold you for. Yeah, I, right? I so, did. So um, your song, IKN, I assume that means I know nothing, right? Off right. of that record. Uh, let's see. Just like bad numbers, imagination you can't bargain for. I'm slow to go on the journey to nothing. Occupying soldiers drink beer and smoke and admit their posting duties. The jukebox is tangled up in the blue five times in a row. Two, two talk plays tangled up in blue. The jukebox plays tangled up in blue. Um, what was happening in that bar for that story? Okay, the, the best line is, even if Bob Dylan is pronounced dead. Okay, that was just like, well, no, no, that's a, from, but... that doesn't know. It says, even if Bob Dylan mispronounced delacroix mispronounced oh i get yeah so it's, it sounded see, like is pronounced dead oh okay no okay miss so in the entangled up in blue he says uh he's he mispronounces the name of the town to do okay. a rhyme okay so that's all and and so uh in that bar there were lots of people that were still kind of drifting around there were still people living in these strange little portals on boats uh national guard floating around um and then this people would go in the bar and this one dude from delacro would play tangled up in blue over and over and over right, and yeah, a hurricane yeah, five times so right, chances yeah. are if you sat there if you sat there for two hours you would, might hear nothing but tangled up in blue over and over. And here is the story of the hurricane. You know, both of those Dylan songs. And they finally pulled them off the jukebox because it was nuts. And then oh, you know, yeah, soon yeah, after yeah. that, they went. But, but that, that it was like, we used to do that in Indiana where, but the, to torment the frat boys in the bar, they had a, there was a John Lennon song that had one side was some popular John Lennon song. And the other side was, Yoko Ono, John Lennon, and Ornette Coleman, and it was a seven-minute single. It's called Fly. So we'd go in there and get a bunch of quarters and play, and fly, play fly like 30 and times. And it was just so this whole bar would be, everyone would be on it. It was, you know, like a prank, you know, but. Well, right. But that's because, yes, that's the most, <laughs> I mean, I, th there are so many bad jokes about Yoko Ono. You know, I mean, there's. Like, well, I mean, I like Yoko Ono. I just, you know, and the funny part is I've got a picture of Yoko Ono in my house, but I have no pictures of any Beatles. <laughs> uh-huh. So, so I don't know. I mean, I always thought I was liked what she was doing, but I have a conceptual art bent. So, you know, I, well, I, I uh, do too, but so I can only handle her for one or two iterations of something before I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to push this aside. Right. You know? And well, I no, what were you saying? I mean, like okay, I remember like I say, I like no, go ahead. I like what? whole I've I've got these postcards that say Yoko Ono postcards that are like there's a hole in it and it says hole to see the sky through. That's the kind of work of hers I like. Oh right. 
Okay. You know, the music, the music is a whole nother thing. I mean, there's some things walking on thin ice was actually tolerable, but a lot of it, it's like kind of hard. Yeah. It's kind of hard to get into. And I figured I always thought that's my problem when I can't get into something. I just wait and maybe I'll get into it later and later. But I've had a lot of Yoko stuff that I just like, I don't know. Because she was on Ryko disc and I had a whole lot of it. And I just kept listening to it and going, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, well, Bob Gruen. If, do you know who Bob Gruen is? The photographer? Yeah. yeah, he actually described it how he described Yoko Ono and why he likes her. And I said, okay, from that point of view, that's, I could probably see that there'd be something to it. Right. But um, I can't like, like you, I, I could listen to it and go, uh, it doesn't hit me. It doesn't work. It, it starts to get kind of annoying, but playing that song, dropping a quarter in the jukebox to piss the frat boys off, you know, that's pretty good. I mean, that's, that's quite yeah, the story was- there. You know, that was a good that was that it was Nick's old English pub on Kirkwood Avenue in Bloomington, in case anyone wants to go there and probably not in the jukebox anymore. Probably not in the jukebox anymore. Yeah, there was uh, there they've got a Spotify playlist going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I thought it was great (laughs) when 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 suddenly they had CDs in there and you you could go and drop the uh drop the a dollar in it, you know, but um uh i actually no there was a there was an old cafe and they sold their jukebox you know when you could could uh, drop your stuff in there at the at the table and then play the songs and i got right. a bunch of duke ellington's pieces and stuff like that back you know i still collect vinyls so that was one of those like when this place went out of oh, business wow. i bought all these old vinyls you know i mean scratch to hell they've been played over you know a billion times but you know still need to have them um uh yeah duke ellington man you gotta say this is like one of the things of when somebody gives you music and you you like it but you want to be honest and you'd be like yeah it's really good but you're no duke ellington oh yeah yeah <laughs> so that's, that's the the duke ellington is the standard by which oh he's, he it's one absolutely of the standards he of, is man but like know, i got yeah well, I, oh, geez, I, I got one guy, I don't know how I get on his mailing list. Like, I get 100 records a week, right? And most of them, a lot of them come from your publicist, Jeez. by the way. But uh, <laughs> this one, he keeps sending me stuff, and he thinks he's this intellectual performance artist. And I just, like, I can't, hey, man, do you want me on your show? No. Hey, man, do you want me? Like, every week he sends me something new, and I'm like, I I didn't know you could make anything worse than that one. And it, it gets worse you know, every week. It's um, so yeah, you ain't no Duke Ellington, man. You're not, you are just, you know, you're, you're nobody. You're, you're nobody. It's like, you're really bad. You know, well, but, uh, you know, I love that Duke. I just think, you know, but there's a lot of people that are do really good stuff, but it's still, you know, and you know, that's like, you know, Stephen Bernstein, have you ever listened to his stuff? Mm-hmm. He had this band called Sex Mob, and then he had the Millennial Territory Orchestra. And and we did. I worked on a record with him last year that I thought was really cool. It was something about Henryism. It was all the stuff that he used to do with Henry Butler. And uh, he, he's the one. I mean, I like talking to other arrangers because you can talk about 
Gil Evans. You can go back to Fletcher Henderson. You can argue about whether Benny Goodman would have been a star without Fletcher Henderson. You know, there's a lot. Of, so, you know, the people that are lifers with this, you end up knowing so much stuff about music and which did you read all the John Coltrane books? Did you, you know, and I didn't, I goofed up and uh, on one thing and I thought Naima was his daughter, but it was his wife, early wife. So I'm all confused now. But, so, um, okay. <laughs> it's like, but you, you've got 50 years of music on me, man. I, I, I mean, I like to think I have like, like stacks of books right here of just different bands, you know, all kinds of music. And I'm sure that I nothing compared to what you know and what you've experienced. But I, I love just like, like, wow, I love hearing your experiences in these stories. You've got such a wealth there that, you know, maybe I'll just come down there and with a tape recorder and push play and push record and have you just ramble on awesome stories because it sounds like you've got volumes of that you could tell me uh, uh you know if somebody if somebody wanted to do that i'd do it but uh, on my own i'm not sure i'd take the time to go do do that because oral history seems all right and do you really want to be another one of those 150,000 books on amazon that you can buy for a penny <laughs> no i'm a hard copy guy myself so <laughs> Like, yeah, well, even yeah, I know. It's just like even the hard copies are like a penny in shipping, you know. I got piles so, of. I, I I love collecting books about like I have piles of books that I still have to go through. I have eleven that I'm yet to get through, you know. Um, so. Oh uh, yeah, about the same here. <laughs> yeah, and and I know that I could say yes, yeah, send like I have a whole bunch of PDFs that they want me to read to, and I'm like, uh, I prefer the paper, you know, but. Um, your your new one off the, the okay so boneless and then of course those are two really fun numbers okay the the line on boneless uh, uh let's see uh payer moved his hairpiece to show me his big wilson fist i rubbed his head like a buddha right <laughs> like what a what a cool like that was a great line right um and then you said the homeless Jesus wants to play. I mean, what what was? No, it's boneless. The boneless, boneless Jesus Je wants to play. You can imagine what boneless Jesus is. Uh, yes. But okay, so the guy. So this is just. I was binge watching this show called Daredevil, and okay. it's like five, six years. Whenever this seventeen, you know, in that era, sixteen, seventeen. And they had a character in Daredevil called Wilson Fisk, who was Mr. Big, and he has a big dude with a bald head. So I just figure, well, what happens if if some guy, Wilson picks, picks up some guy and takes him home, and then Wilson Fisk goes really weird? Or it's the other way around. Wilson Fisk goes to the guy's house. The guy's not doesn't really know what's going on. Wilson Fisk turns into a weirdo, and he has to spray him with a can of spray cheese you know it just i don't know it seemed like a normal <laughs> song to me it was like uh and uh the song itself was this is how you write songs for all you songwriters out there i i went through i was playing for some reason i had to play a version of i saw her standing there by the beatles so then i started playing this other thing and i i 
I made the whole form of that song is without cloning any of the music or the harmony or the melodies or the words, but it's, it's pretty much the exact form of I saw her standing there and just uh, with uh, just different, with crazy uh, whole different about. outlook. And there's no melody that's the same, but you know, Instead oh of God. she was just 17, and you know what I mean? It's like he was just 37, and you know, and uh, and I took and then the guy takes, and, and instead of, yeah, yeah, and you take, yeah, and it's like, I don't, yeah, uh, you know, you try to because I mean, to me, it's like the seriousness of rock and roll. I mean, there's a lot of you know, uh, tastemakers and whatnot that won't go near anything that has any humor to it because that's considered some kind of, you know, I mean, I guess they think rock and roll should be like this earth changing thing or whatever. I don't know. But I noticed that anything with any humor tends to get shoved out the door, but that doesn't stop me because nobody cares what I'm doing anyway. Well, I mean, I, I'm looking at who you've worked with there. You did the rogues gallery there, which that was right. But you've also got, uh, um, I mean, the, the Zappa, the Beefheart, all those guys that your name keeps getting thrown around in. I'm like, yeah, this guy, rock and roll is fun, you know. And yeah. obviously, listening to, to your explanations of these songs, there are some great ones. <laughs> wow, those are fun. Um, what about your song, uh, Of Course? Okay. That was funny just because of the oh. choir. I mean, and you were talking about that earlier with the Gavin Friday thing, the bop, 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 right? You know, but you had yeah. that that choir in the background there. And then it suddenly turns to ska. But right. that song made me realize you were probably that, and then going through some, and then connecting with other, I think you were probably the biggest influence on the band, the Pixies more than anybody else. I think the Pixies probably listened to you religiously when they tried to make them. <laughs> That's funny. I doubt if the Pixies ever heard of me, so. Uh, really? They, I, 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 hear, I hear so much listening to your stuff. I'm like, totally probably influenced the Pixies big time, but, uh, or at least Seriously. that was the sound that the Pixies were trying to, to get their hands on for a while. Well, that song say, okay, this that song goes all the way back to 1976, and and it was like, you know, it's it's almost like a disco tune if you want. Mm -hmm. Instead of, in this case, I got two drummers, so it turned into this big mess. But you could sit there and play a hustle beat against it the whole time. And uh, my friend Rich from MX80 had this idea to make a novelty song. Because it was, uh, oh, the, it most um, definitely was anniversary, but it, it, but it had yeah. so much in it. This is real. I mean, it's a very well, you know, mo a lot of your novelty songs this was are just like, going to be silly. This was a very complex piece put together. Yeah, but the original song was called "My Declaration of Love" because it was 1776 to <laughs> to uh, okay. 1976, and uh, and it was like the words were like. Uh, what is the first line of the Declaration of Independence? We the people. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, no, it was like a different thing. Uh, no, 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 no. Anyway, it was like, 
instead of, of course, of course, it was like my declaration of love. Da, 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 so it was like, so it sat there for a long time. And then one day I just started making a track of it again. And then uh, I, I don't know, it just turned into that. It turned, you know, it had to be ridiculous. That's all, you know, because it's ridiculous. It was, a, it was, it was fun. That was just, I, again, you have so much that's out there that you've played in, recorded and everything. And I only went through, I was able to go through bits and pieces here that the last two records, um, the, you know, the Gypsy Bandits, there's so much out there. You've got such a great catalog. And I've enjoyed it. I, I really have. But now hearing the stories behind it where you think, oh, there was something deep or powerful. No, we were eating, you know, we're doing this or doing that, or just this 1776 thing. I love how simple the real story is behind some of these songs. You know, it's um it's it's I, I love that. But again, if you if you can't tell, I like dissecting songs, I like taking them apart, trying to say, okay, what were they doing? What was the the situation there? You know, of course, you're you're playing uh, the the guys playing Bob Dylan five song, you know, five times in a row. <laughs> Just, I love your storytelling in the music, but you're you're taking it pretty wacky. It's like I don't know if you're like they might be giants kind of thing. I I I, I enjoy it in that direction. You know. Yeah, well, that's good because I mean I don't know what else to do. I mean, well, so I mean, you're I'm doing a whole project where. I mean, I do, I do a project where I take all these Hoagie Carmichael songs that never were released, and I perform those. It's called Lost Hoagie Carmichael. All of those are very straight ahead, and me singing these Hoagie Carmichael songs from the twenties through some into the seventies that just sat in his closet because he wasn't getting any gigs anymore. So I can, I am capable of doing things that aren't like all totally just you know chocolate on the sushi kind of things but in general with my own stuff that's just how it tends to go well well this has been a great conversation if you haven't noticed i've been smiling pretty hard this whole time just enjoying talking about all this you've got quite a history and the new album as well it's it's a totally different feel than then then you know the uh what was the one prisoners of the sky the whole one there gooseneck was really dark and and now we're we're talking about mushroom crowd and i just assume that you're talking about the the feel of it's very different and the exposure the the the, the happiness i guess and well uh, well yeah I mean, mushrooms, you know, mushrooms grow underground and talk to each other. And there's, you know, areas of land that are just entirely covered in mushrooms. So it really didn't have anything to do with ingesting mushrooms, per se. But it was more like a play on, well, everyone knows what a mushroom cloud is. So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't think you don't have to read in any. It's, Mushroom crowd. It, it's, yes, it's, it's reasonably psychedelic, but. Uh, um, and it has a line about Taylor Swift, which makes it contemporary. I was going to bring that up. If you do want to mention the Taylor Swift line, I, I got a kick out of that one too. I was like, where was that? 
dropped in the middle of it only because in the last two weeks all the big scandal about her her concert tickets which i know had nothing to do with oh. writing this song but it all just kind of pops into the current news yeah you know? well that song was was uh you know six years ago too or so you know that's how that that's a 2017 pretty much a record that just has sat around so i just thought I was argue I was like uh, the people that make the Taylor Swift records do amazing work, and I don't. Yeah, and she's incredibly good at crafting songs. I don't really care about her mansion and her boyfriends, but I do understand that that there's some uh, really really strong work going on there. Well, I heard the new record, and I'm I'm not a huge fan, but I heard the new record and I liked it. And I would, and I understood why everybody was getting bent out of shape about it. And it's because I, and her other work is fine. I have three teenage girls. So, you know, enough said right. as far as Taylor Swift goes, but I enjoyed her other work and I like it, but I'm not committed to, I'm not married to how I think Taylor Swift should sound. And that's why right. when the new record came out, I was like, oh, this is good stuff. Not because, uh, I, I'm a diehard Taylor Swift fan and everything she makes is great but I thought this is very good it's very well produced she's doing great work here everybody was bent out of shape because it wasn't like they felt like she needed to sound and she was doing the way that she wanted and I was like okay I can enjoy this you know um, I've made that mistake too many times with other bands where I, I liked everything they did except for that one record well why? Well, because I was expecting him to sound a certain way. It, you, you obviously get it too. You understand that. That yeah. you know, we, we, well, we, we uh, put too much into how we think a band should sound instead of just enjoying when they come out with something that, hey, it might just be different. Yeah, it's going to be different. Well, think about, uh, you, I don't know if you've come across an artist named Lily Lewis. And Lily I spent Lewis. a good, in the last couple of years, L-I-L-L-I -L -L -I Lewis. She's from Georgia, lives My in American Orleans, art. lives in Louisiana now. Yeah, and we did a record okay. last year, an Americana record. And that record's really cool. And I'm working on more stuff with her. And she is the only person I ever met who can do the entire classical soprano aria repertoire, repertoire um, and play the piano at the same time. She can accompany herself. How many divas do you know that can do that? <laughs> I'm watching she her do right opera. now. Yeah, I, I can see her right now. She looks like, yeah. like, wow. She looks impressive. I'm gonna have to go check that out. You know. Um, yeah, check that out because that's some. You know, like, see, and and you know, when you when you put out that all the press and everything, there's so many things like that that are amazing that don't get it because in five years when Lily, I mean, Lily's played the Kennedy Center already, but she's still not like somebody because. In a in an era when there's fifty thousand new singles going on Spotify every day, how the hell do you find anyone? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And, and I look at yeah. it and I think, okay, she looks like she'd be a lot of fun. I'm just watching her like she's like there on the piano. I'm like, okay, she's one that you got to strap in and go for the long ride with because she she probably puts on a hell of a show oh, yeah. there. So. Um, Oh, yeah, yeah, this is I, I consider it an honor to be talking to you. 
I really do. And even the fact that you're like, yeah, I worked with this guy. I did this record, this record. I, I love, I love what you do. I love what you've given us. And I, I want people to hear the, the new record as trippy as it is. Yes. It's got the psychedelic vein to it. Um, I, I, I think we should go back to the gypsies too. You know, um, I, I'm very impressed with how much you've been able to do over all this time. And I, I, I'm really glad that I got to talk to you, man. This has been a, a great conversation, well, but I, I'm taking my notes. I'm like, I'm going to have to go and listen to it. Uh, well, when, I got uh, a week's worth of listening soon, now. When uh, in, 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 there's, you know, there's another two coming out on the 18th of January, and that's a new record, and then a record that's sort of a a, a lot of newer stuff, but a compilation has a Allen Ginsberg track on it. It has a couple other poets on it, and then by March 18th, there's 11 albums coming out at once. They're all instrumentals. And at that point, everything that I'm going to release is going to just go on Bandcamp and it'll be accessible for anyone to listen to. So then you'll have uh, 22. And then, you know, there's the stuff on Numero. There's uh, two Caroline Payton records and the Screaming Gypsy Bandits that's now on Numero. And, uh, there's some stuff in there. So, and then there's a lot of stuff that's still out there. So, and I'm going to make, I'm making a new record. So why not? Right. <laughs> can, can I call you Frank Zappa? Like that's what it sounds no, like. No, don't call me. I mean, uh, you're, you're like, as busy as Zappa is what I'm saying. I'm in, I'm, like a, I'm in a much, Zappa. I'm in a, I'm in a much better mood than Frank ever was, I think so. Oh, really? Cause I always thought Frank, well, I, I've seen some interviews where he was pretty grumpy, but, uh, um yeah i don't know you know i mean i uh i liked frank up like i liked uh uh freak out and up there but i sort of got off frank right around hot rats okay i can still sing you know i mean i can still you know i remember the tunes but um, I don't know. I just went into a different realm then. Frank led me to some certain listening, which was great. But I just, after that, I don't know what it was. Um, but, you know, there he is. He's been gone for a long time. He's been gone. gone for 30 Almost years. 30 years next year, right? Damn, that's a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, well, okay. It's good talking to you. Yeah, I, you what song do you want me to play us out with? Uh, yeah, my favorite off, song off the on, new record. Off on, the new record on on a mushroom crowd is is the Panama City song. Okay, I love the, that song. I'm gonna play us out with the Panama. It's really City long. Song. It's seven. It's it's yeah. That's that's a whole story. That's a whole itself. story. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much, Mark Bingham of uh, of all things eclectic rock and roll. Thank you for your time. Uh, everybody else, take care, be good to each other, and let music do awesome in your lives. What does that tell you when your mother names you Peppa? What does that tell you when you shop at Piggy Wiggly? What does that tell you when you're mistaken for a father? What does that tell you when you change your name to Vera? What does that tell you when your halter top falls off? What 
When is that tell you when your life's a walking shadow? When is that tell you when you miss Vlad of Spit the City Beach was a paradise to view. The view of ingenuity, the view of brain power. Walking on the front beach, sucking on a thumb. What does that tell you when you pretend to be a Christian? What does that tell you when you pretend to be chased? Spit the coleslaw, spit the coleslaw, spit the coleslaw. Back to 
for help and cracker staying blind. She produced a shiny Ruger automatic. What does that tell you, Annie? Waved a gun. What does that tell you that he started quoting Scarface? What does it tell you that Cletus came to the door? Cracker stayed on 9-11 and played with his little friend. Cletus made small talk about Richard Spencer. The beach police drove up and Cletus hit the back door. What does that tell you that Vera hugged the cops? What does that tell you that they each got bone? What does that tell you that Vera had the Cletus stash? She split it with the cops. What does that tell you that the cops found Cletus walking on the front beach whistling at the keys that didn't whistle back? Walking on the front beach whistling at the keys that didn't whistle back. Cletus explained. Too hot the eye of heaven shine, lest the wise world should look into your home and mock you with me after I'm gone.